Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist Podcast. Please help by subscribing and check out footballpurist.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Talk On podcast, especially for our American audience. This is a holiday special, something to get you through the tryptophan effect of all the turkey and give you something to focus on going through the weekend. And as we move into, there you go. There's some Christmas music. Thanks. <laughs> I'm your host, Jeff Hallett, and I'm joined as always by our recent graduate, making us all so proud, John O'Sullivan. Do you feel all grows up? I am absolutely the least mature person of my age or of my standing in terms of academic achievements. But uh, yeah, I'll gladly, I'll gladly pretend to be. Hey, it, <laughs> it's a big accomplishment. Masters of journalism. This is the launch pad for success going forward. And well, here's hoping. <laughs> here's hoping. And our special guest. So we're very delighted to have Kevin DeVries, who comes from, as I describe it, the Dave Hendrick potting tree, kind of like the Bill Walsh coaching tree, but for footy podcasts, if you can buy that, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, this is how I met John, uh, Ryan Baldy, and now you, Kevin. And I'm glad you could join us. Uh, Kevin does an EPL roundtable, among many things. I'll have you describe those. But for all the Liverpool fans especially, he does a twice yearly, I think it's twice yearly, the mm-hmm. synopsis of the league with Dave Hendrick. It's usually coming in two parts, which can keep you company on a long commute for John or anybody else. <laughs> so anyway, great to have you here. Thank you so much. Nice to be on. So in addition to knowing the league pretty well, knowing the championship pretty well, you're also a self-described Spurs fan. And... There's been a bit of news that Jose, yeah. the great Jose Mourinho has moved from Sky Sports, sadly, back into coaching, which everybody's got an opinion about. And I wanted to begin with you, who probably knows more than most. So I guess just at a high level, what's your, what's your first take? You, you saw the news roll by. Were you gnashing teeth? Was it positive? Was it to be determined? Yeah, well, obviously, it was a very short (laughs) period in between the sacking of Pochettino and the hiring of Mourinho. And within an hour, you know, all of the odds were uh, that Mourinho was going to be the next manager to come on board. Um, As I mentioned on on our special, um, as you mentioned, EPL Roundtable, um, that Mourinho has actually been to uh, Tottenham Stadium a couple of times already, once representing um, the Inter Legends team, uh, who were one of the first... uh, like warm-up acts at the new stadium while they were making sure all the systems were working. Hmm. And then he also attended the Newcastle match earlier in the season. So he had already kind of been around um, and kind of like how uh, Klopp kind of fell in love when he went to Anfield. There are those that will claim that those two uh, experiences may have, may have led Jose to our way. Hmm. Um, but overarchingly, uh, I am surprised um, I know Levy had wanted Jose for a very long time and had tried to bring him in uh, both after Porto and after the first Chelsea stint, um, obviously not managing to do so either time. So it's something Levy thinks will work and has wanted for a very long time. Of course, as we know, uh, Daniel Levy's hesitancy to spend, Jose Mourinho's tendency to spend, you know, we'll kind of see what gives there. Levy for a very long time has wanted a director of football. 
Um, if we end up somehow getting uh, Luis Campos out of Lille, of course, known for all the work that he did uh, building those Monaco teams where like every player was sold for 60 million plus. Um, if we were able to get him in, uh, I think Levy might himself distance a bit potentially towards a long-term sale of the club. Um, but anyway, yes, I, I totally understand why a lot of people outside looking in are like, how are Levy and Mourinho going to make it work? But Levy's wanted this for a very long time. So at least in the interim, we're just going to have to assume that he, he's willing to do more for Mourinho than he was previous managers, despite the uh, near successes that Mauricio so frequently brought us. Yeah. And I'm surprised to hear that he was in the conversation in 04. I, I know that latter stages of Jose leaving Porto after all of his accomplishments there, there was mm-hmm. mention of Liverpool for just a minute. And you wonder if that was to tempt or at least rock Abramovich a little bit on his offer. Who knows what he was putting in front of him. But mm. in terms of Mourinho, the manager, um, and Levy, why didn't he join, I guess, in 04? Like, was it even an option? Was it a realistic fit? Or was it more of a pipe dream? Well, Tottenham are pretty well known for going out and poaching young coaching talent. Um, obviously, it's what we did with uh, Pochettino himself. Um, so I don't think it would have been too crazy, although I think Mourinho's rise was already faster than where Tottenham were at the time. Obviously, not the club that modern fans will be aware of. Um, so I, I don't think it would have been likely, but it was likely enough that Levy tried, if that makes sense. Like, yes, he was probably very quickly ascending to heights beyond where Tottenham Hotspur Football Club were at the time. But, you know, it was worth a shot then trying to get a young manager into the Premier League. Of course, as you mentioned, there were already other Premier League links. So far, (laughs) far from the truth would it be to say that Tottenham were his only option into England, obviously, (laughs) as history would tell. Um, But I I think that, you know, 10 to 20 percent chance. I I don't think it ever would have been likely, but likely enough that it was attempted. And you mentioned something interesting about. Levy and his strategy with the club. I mean, there's lots new in terms of revenue sources, the new park, the attention, Champions League football. So it would seem that the economics have changed a little bit for him. Mm. So I I was curious about that. Like, do you, you mentioned like he might step away from trying to sell the club, you know, return a profit, I guess, into maybe investing like FSG have with Liverpool. I don't think Levy would ever invest that much okay. into the into the side. Um, you know, we did spend 120 million um, in theory in the summer. That really depends on whether or not we get a European spot and the automatic deal for Lascelles goes through. Um, if we miss out on Europe, I'm sure it would still potentially be on the table. But uh, you mentioned Dave earlier, one of his um, player lusts is, of course, for Bruno Fernandez, who we already had agreed the majority of a deal with. Um, before the Lacelso deal came through and Dabala fell through. Um, so there is already a framework for that player. Of course, Jose Mourinho being Portuguese is only ever going to stoke those flames. Um, but that's one that kind of comes to mind. But I don't think there's a lot of money for players this season, let alone on the whole. Yes, we have all the Champions League revenue, but we do have a stadium to pay off. I, I think the the big turning point will either be Levy and Enoch's sale of the club or when we finally sell the uh, stadium and shirt rights at the same time, which is 
the long-term plan Mm. and whether or not Levy is here for that or not remains to be seen. My thought is Levy would want to get that done, boost the value, have Jose keep champions league football, which we'll get to later, whether or not I think that's likely. Um, And then at that high point, you know, world renowned manager champions league, brand new deal for the naming rights and shirt rights of the uh, stadium and kits respectively. And then at that super high point, that's when you sell out um, and then change ownership. But in the interim, when people are like Jose was told he can spend what he wants, no, he wasn't. <laughs> I, I would be very, very, very surprised if that was the case. And we're not that far away player-wise right now, unless we can shift some of the players that are out of contract in January. But unless that happens, I don't see much happening. Yeah, and it's such a abbreviated window to begin with. John, yeah. it, it, this is probably a good time to remember the manager that is Mourinho, right? Uh, we've got so many opinions littering our Twitter newsfeed or <laughs> anywhere else in the social universe. It's good to remember there was a very accomplished Jose Mourinho before the downfall at United, especially in Chelsea part two. Tell us a little bit more about that. We, um, we were speaking about it before we came live. Um, I think in terms of tactically, he's probably still the best tactician in world football. If there was any manager you'd fear your team playing in a once-off game, it would be a Mourinho team. He's just absolutely brilliant at uh, killing attacking teams and really taking away their strengths. I mean, the prime example was when his inter-team went to the new Camp in the Champions League semi-final, and they were down to 10 men from very early on. And uh, they only conceded at once to this magnificent, flowing Barcelona team and subsequently qualified for a Champions League final. It was a game where... The Barcelona ground staff turned the sprinklers on and sold Mourinho, but he, he was absolutely loving it in, in that kind of badass way he has about rubbing things in. Um, so I think tactically, he's a brilliant coach. Now, he has fallen down in some of the other things, like maybe his man management and his uh, dealings with the media that happened to both Chelsea and United. But I think it's interesting that he's, he's really changed his uh, backroom team. He's got a lot of coaches from Lille and from my watching of Lille last season they were quite a progressive team who like to play fast counter-attacking football so maybe if that's a signal that he might be willing to evolve and adapt somewhat because his United team look very behind the times when you compare them to say City or Liverpool in terms of the attacking side of the game it just really felt like his plan was just give the ball to Lukaku and let players play off them the attacking side didn't really seem very choreographed whereas with Guardiola and with Klopp there was discernible patterns of play and even with Pochettino like the team the team really had a pre-rehearsed idea when it came to attacking but United didn't look like that but I think people fall into a trap of assuming Mourinho is this really dour and defensive manager I just think he's very pragmatic um, people mention him at Real Madrid it's worth remembering that he won the title with a record uh, margin at Real Madrid and his team scored 121 league goals so that's four, that's an average of four goals a game so that's that's absolutely that's absolutely mind-boggling stuff and uh, he done that with a quick team with the likes of Benzema um, Di Maria and Ronaldo so I think he'll just play to the strengths of the players he has and I think it's probably a testament to how poor that United squad was that he played such a brand of football there. And I think that's kind of been shown in the results since he left. So it's, it's, it's hard to call, but it's a very interesting 
uh, appointment and it could go either spectacularly well or spectacularly poorly. And I think that's what really makes it riveting to watch. Yeah, Kevin, I remember in his press conference, his announcement presser, he at least implied that he's open to changing, you know, that time is a pundit and the way things ended at United forced him to reflect a little bit. Do you think there's going to be a nuanced Jose we haven't seen or maybe a, you know, back to the future with that <laughs> Madrid experience that John just described? Um, we will until we won't <laughs> that would be my uh, initial assumption there. Um, Cause he said very similar things to Manchester United that he had kind of rethought his philosophy and he was going to apply some new stuff. Uh, although uh, John mentions an interesting point that, you know, there was a, there was a talent difference there, but I mean, you know, they still had Ebro up front running everything and brought Pogba in. So, you know, they, they weren't bereft of talent um, in that side, obviously. Uh, I do think that the best sign that we might see something different is the change in training staff. As mentioned, um, Lille did some really progressive things in Sacramento coming in and being the number two with his knowledge of, of video training and everything like that. It, it definitely brand, it definitely lends the breath of freshness to it, um, whether or not the actual football itself will be or how long it would last, I think, remains to be seen. But I think there is reason for optimism short term that things will change. But obviously, it, it, it's hard to divorce Mourinho from his very long, although illustrious record um, that things could kind of revert to how things have been before, like they were at Chelsea or like they were at United. But I do think it's worth noting. Uh, and I just jotted this down, uh, doing a little bit of research beforehand, that Mourinho's win percentage at Chelsea and United is still higher than Pacha's was at Tottenham, 58.5% to 54.3. So even in the kind of worst case Mourinho place, that's still better than Pacha was. And that's not the first Chelsea time. That's the second Chelsea time and United. So I think even if we don't get a fully revolutionized Mourinho, there's still plenty of reason to be excited. And as John was mentioning with the wingers, I think if there's any player, uh, not to jump too far ahead in the order, but I think people need to become very scared of Hyungman's son if Mourinho can get the best out of him the way he has wingers in the past. Actually, we'll get there in a second. I I wanted to like just put a fine point on who Mourinho is as a manager and like how things ended and whether or not that is likely to continue. You know, at United, it's pretty clear he didn't work for a great club, you know, just in terms of the operation. Ed Woodward is great, well-regarded for his commercial success, but (laughs) running a football team, no. And Ferdinand as the potential director of football, I mean, it's just an utter mess there. One of the first things I thought of with the announcement is Tottenham, much better well-run club. This is not United in tatters. This is a club that's been smart in their recruitment of players over. John, do you think this this curse of like how things seem to fall apart in year three, at least the last two assignments he's had or more, do you think that'll continue? You see, it's so hard to know because it's fallen down because, you know, of his, <laughs> of his personality, mainly. He, t- he seems to like burn all of his bridges and fall out with backroom staff and with players. And so, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if Tottenham's objective is to even keep him that long. Um, it might be, like Kev was mentioning, the fact that it would make them more 
maybe accessible to people that would want to buy the club to have that big name. And it could be well that they think, okay, maybe there's an outside chance we could get Champions League football this season and then uh, reassess with Mourinho's reputation enhanced and uh, Spurs back where they where they need to be. So it might well he's it might well be that it's just a short term fix. And I mean, with that carrot maybe to re uh, re enhance his reputation and reinvigorate himself that. Mourinho will be kind of motiv- extra motivated to prove a lot of people wrong. And then, you know, it's a mutually beneficial kind of an agreement between both of them. But just the pivot from Pochettino to Mourinho is so big that it just makes me think that there could be a sale of Spurs coming down the line. And I mean, hmm. they have that partnership with the NFL, their London club. And if they had Champions League football, I mean, it'd be a very attractive club to buy. London-based club. Yeah, there's just so much in that column. I wanted to ask this question about Pochettino. So Pochettino was obviously mm. hot property. Um, United <laughs> were, were looking at him before appointing the fabulous Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Could have probably made money on you know just letting him leave and go to United. Where do you think he goes from here? Do you think he's you know he's not going to be a pundit? I don't think. <laughs> no, he certainly enjoys the limelight less than Jose does. So, yeah. punditry seems less up his alley. And also, you know, not to not to belittle Jose Mourinho's experience and and upbringing and stuff, but you know, Pochettino was born with the football at his feet and hasn't left since. Um, so, I, I think he will have a much shorter uh, stay away from football than the eleven months that that Jose just went through. Um, he won't go to Arsenal. I've seen a lot of people worrying about that. Um, he was even on record saying that even if he was sacked, he still wouldn't go there the same way. He still won't go to Barcelona because of Espanol. Mm. Um, so I, I know a lot of Tottenham fans are like, oh, what if, Sol Campbell, etc. It's just not the kind of dude that Pochettino is. Um, I don't think that means he wouldn't manage domestically. He reportedly thought he had that Manchester United job locked up mm. uh, for this coming season. Um, back in February or March. So the idea was that they would have Solskjaer run the year out on that short-term contract that he originally signed, if people will recall. And then they wouldn't pick up the Solskjaer option. And then they'd come get Poch in the summer um, after what would end up being a Champions League final, which did not go our way. But I think he he had already in his mind kind of thought about moving on to Manchester United. And so I certainly think that's an option. Bayern, of course, sniffing around in any big club, they lose their manager soon, which could be a lot of them, oh, yeah. to be fair. Um, I think he'll be up and running for any of them. Um, interestingly, managers seem to be implying that he might take some more time. I, I just don't see it, although I fully believe that his heart has been broken by this whole thing. Um, but as mentioned elsewhere and by myself previously, his heart was broken in June. It wasn't now. It wasn't because he didn't get the Manchester United move. He kind of had reached this apex, this climax point in the Champions League final. And then when it didn't happen, I just don't think he knew how to really handle that. He didn't win a lot as a player, um, either in league football or internationally. I think he's just kind of in his head. He's always been an almost man. You know, we made it to a final, lost to Chelsea, made it to several semifinals, didn't make it through several on penalties. Um, I just think... He and the club, based on how we got there, how we got to the final, um, the belief that was shown, I think everybody just thought we had, you know, gotten past all of that. 
and then you know within a minute to to have conceded a penalty already because of a handball. <clears throat> I just think all of that history that we we were fighting uphill against and defeating match by match all of a sudden came back in a wave, and I think it just basically swept Pochettino out of the club. Liverpool had the same experience the year prior with Madrid, unfortunately. You know, everybody walking around with number 13 t-shirts before the first kick of the game and, you know, Salah going down. Anyway, <laughs> that could be a whole separate podcast on its own. Yeah. But <laughs> it seemed Pochettino was always overachieving with what he had. You know, going into the yeah. season, you knew depth was going to be a big issue, especially coming off of World Cup. And to achieve what he achieved, to get to the game in the first place, is a big accomplishment. Maybe the disappointment was not just losing the game, but could I ever rebuild, rebuild this again? Could I ever overachieve with the limited bodies I have? Yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. And he mentioned like two or three weeks before he ended up getting the sack that um, as a club, we were back to where he, we were when he joined which was disjointed egos. That's when we had Adebayor and Capu that he straight up jettisoned out of the club. Um, Andros Townsend picked a fight with our fitness coach. He was gone the next window, despite having literally been at Tottenham since he was like eight. Wow. Um, so I think that's that's where we got to again, was he came in, there was disjointed older players. He just got rid of them, built something together. And now he's been here long enough, you know, five and a half years that those young players grew into players with egos and their own motives. And and I just, I, I agree that I think that could have also been very tiring for him to look at of, I, I made you this good. And now your ego is preventing you from wanting to stay or work with me. I, I can't imagine that that's particularly fun. Yeah. It was there truth to him after the champions league final going separate from the team after the match. Yeah. That, that is okay. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He didn't return to London. He went uh, to Barcelona. Yeah. So that's uh, <laughs> telling in and of itself. Okay, um, thank you for that. It, just because it's good context. I mean, everybody looks at Pochettino and what he's been able to accomplish at Spurs with, I think, respect. Mm -hmm. Wh which club you come from, which team you support. I mean, you can't can't help but respect the man. And yeah, I heard it said that he was a lot of uh, uh, he and Tottenham were a lot of people's second club because we played an enterprising, an enterprising brand of football. He seemed like a really good dude, and that this is kind of our heel turn, as Cos Pandey said on our show, or our uh, kind of turn from Jedi to Sith, if ah. you're looking forward to a particular movie in a month. Yeah, just the uh, Disney Plus is sort of clouding that reception, in, at least in Southern California and the U.S. But let's get into the club itself. Like Mourinho, as you apply it to Spurs' existing 11, so this is yet another reason why having a Spurs fan knowing as much as you do about the club helps. So you look at that 11, how do you think the 11 changes to start? You mentioned son, like purpose built for Mourinho, it would seem. Yeah. Son is definitely going to be the big winner. Um, also, Aurier is probably going to stick it right back for now. Uh, under Pochettino, there was talk of potentially playing fourth there. Um, of course he played there in the uh, Copa America over the summer. Um, also, I, I think probably the biggest winner has to be Eric Dyer, who was on the fringe of the squad. Really? Was mixed between being a center back and a def central defender. Uh, sorry, a central defensive midfielder. Um, he'd been played in both positions again when, you know, Pochettino had finally decided he was a midfielder, but then with the potential coming departures um, of Vertonghen and Toby because of their contract issues, I think Pochettino wanted to see how Dyer and Sanchez would pair at the back. Uh, but, of course, Jose Mourinho famously tried to purchase 
dire for 50 million pounds, which the only thing more shocking than that is that we said no, um, considering his current standing. Uh, but he is going to be the defensive midfielder. He is going to be the Matic, if you're talking about the later Chelsea and United eras. I'm not sure he's good enough to do that, but he will certainly be given the chance all of a sudden. Of course, we were doing a trio of Sissoko, Winks, and Ndombele uh, in the final stages of the Pochettino era. So Dyer will absolutely come in. We've seen a lot more of Lucas already on the right wing. Of course, Mourinho for years wanted a right winger um, at United. At Chelsea, he had one in Willian, but would frequently play attacking midfielders out of position up there. Um, so I think he's going to very much enjoy the pace of Lucas. And, and while he, I don't particularly view him as a air quotes defensive coach, he is obviously very much known for his transitioning and his counterattacking. Um, and while Kane doesn't have prolific pace by any stretch, the idea of Lucas and Son at full stretch uh, either side of him will certainly cause uh, fear for the defense. Um, we haven't seen Jan and Toby play together yet, but you have to imagine Toby will play another player that he tried to sign along with Aurier and Rose and Dyer. No question. And Delhi. Um, so all of them obviously probably have their spots. I, I've heard many places and I'd echo the sentiment. The player I'm not sure where he'll fit in is Harry Winks. Yeah. Uh, he's not defensive enough to play at the base. He isn't, you know, box to boxy enough and, and isn't better than Ndombele to play kind of in the pivot. And he's certainly not the attacking option that Deli Ali or, or Giovanni Lo Celso long-term are or Ericsson short-term. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see where he fits. I, I really do rate Harry Winks. He just kind of, it, he's one of those players that feels like came along in the wrong generation, um, at least with the, the current setup at the club. So uh, we'll kind of see, but I'd say Winks is probably the big loser. Dyer is obviously the big winner. Mm. I would not expect you to say the dire part of that, but it could make all sorts of puns with dire, but I won't. Oh, I'm not saying he'll be good. I think <laughs> he personally has received a huge win okay. from a manager that trusts in him. Fair enough. John, how do you see this 11 changing? I'm sure you have maybe a different thought or two. It, it's interesting what he's going to do with Tangoy and Dombele. Um, he reminds me maybe of a more progressive Michael Essien. But since mm. these Chelsea days, Mourinho was kind of pivoted away from the 4-3-3 that he used to play with uh, Lampard and Makaleli ahead of Essien. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with him because he's an absolutely fantastic player. Um, he was quite effusive of his praise of Deli Ali, and he asked him whether he was Deli Ali or Deli Ali's brother. So it's obvious he's trying to put the arm around the shoulder there and kind of bring what is a prodigiously talented young player back to the form that we saw of him previously. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with him because in the past, a lot of number 10s have thrived under Mourinho of differing kind of profiles. You look at Deco at Porto, you look at Lampard, more of a, like a second striker at Chelsea. You look at Wesley Schneider, like a conventional number 10 at Inter. So a lot of these players have done quite well under Mourinho. So what he does with him uh, will be interesting. Also, I think it might be an olive branch to Victor Wanyama whenever he can get himself fit consistently. I think uh, when he's on his day, he's one of the better defensive fields in the Premier League. And if he can stay fit, then maybe he'll have a future at the club that a few months ago you might have assumed he wouldn't have had. Um, I don't think the issue is with Spurs 11. It's actually very good and they have some good players in reserve as well. It's just... Uh, I don't know if the synergy between a lot of the squad is great because it's been well documented that some of those players want to leave, especially Christian Eriksen. So 
the last would really be interesting to see if Ericsson wants to play uh, Mourinho's preferred uh, preferred choice so far. Okay, it's a tiny sample size, two games, but has been Ali in the 10 off Kane in the forward role and flanked by Moura and Son. And for his style of football, I think that's quite good. So unless he kind of changes and puts Ericsson in the midfield too, which is highly, highly unlikely, I don't see how he gets into the team. And it'll be interesting to see whether he leaves in January or not. Yeah, I'm kind of curious your thoughts, Kevin, on especially the Ericsson situation. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, how much time do I have? In, uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, it has not gone particularly well, and his form has fallen off an entire cliff um, ever since the summer, where he bandied about for a Real Madrid move. That you know, he's dreamed of moving to to Spain, to Madrid or Barcelona for the majority of his career. But I said way back when we signed him that. I don't think he has the requisite fire to make it at, at the literally the highest level. I think Tottenham is about as high as he can go, and I think he found that in the summer, uh, much to his own chagrin, where now he just wants to change for change's sake. And we've gotten one in our manager, but it, I don't think it'll be enough. A little too little too late for Ericsson to, to revive his Tottenham career. Uh, I also agree he isn't really the, the model that Mourinho probably wants and kind of the weird, eclectic nature of Deli Ali's game. And kind of being a wild card tactically, I think, is something that, that Mourinho will certainly enjoy uh, dealing with. Um, Ericsson, man, not gone well. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he'll leave in January. I think he'll leave on a free. If we could sell him in January for like 25 or 30 million and maybe put that uh, towards a down posit for um, – Potentially Bruno Fernandez, I think Mourinho would. Um, but again, if we keep Giovanni Lo Celso, which we can either automatically do it again if we qualify through Europe or if we just choose to, there's not really space for Bruno Fernandez. Um, you can argue and debate the strengths and weaknesses of Lo Celso and Fernandez. Fernandez far more of a traditional 10 than Lo Celso, who obviously can play basically anywhere in the center of the pitch uh, at any level. Um, but uh I would assume that Ericsson will sign on a free in January to either Inter or Juventus. Um, I, don't, I don't see Juventus happening. They're allegedly interested, but they have so many midfielders already. Maybe the thought is if Dybala goes, Ericsson fits the mold better, of course. Dybala, you know, when you already have Higuain and, and Ronaldo, hard to find spaces in the attacking areas. Maybe that's why you go for Ericsson, somebody that would hang a little bit further back, create a bit more rather than drive forward and try to do things himself. Uh, but I, I think Inter actually makes a lot of sense in that same mold of not actually any bigger, but just a change. And John, when you look at the center backs, um, you know, out of contract coming in with, in terms of the natural pair that's been so successful there, what do you see for the depth? And do you think they'll start to see success under Mourinho? Because obviously Mourinho is so good at defense. Well, when you just look at it, uh, without delving in too deep, they've got good options in Vertonghen, Alderweireld, um, Davinson Sanchez, and then Juan Foyt, who I think is naturally a centre-half, but needs must, and he's been used quite a lot of right-back, which long-term actually might benefit him in terms of being able to bring the ball out from the back and spatial awareness and what have you. So on the surface, there isn't that many issues there. Um Sanchez is probably not as good as he was at the beginning, but he's a 22 or 23-year-old centre-half. I mean, their trajectory isn't always in a straight line. There'll be a lot of learnings from him from maybe not being in the best form in the last while, which 
you know, that's a kind of a reflection of the team itself. So I think they're quite well stacked in uh, centre-half. Uh, Kev mentioned it, Mourinho has tried to sign Alderweireld in the past. He's another player who I think fitness permitting is probably in the top three centre-halves in the league with Laporte and Van Dijk. So I don't think there's necessarily uh, a problem with them there. Uh, previously, they've kind of suffered a lot at fullback, especially on the right-hand side, but Mourinho wouldn't be known in recent times for making his, you know, for making his fullbacks bomb on and be extremely creative. So that could be something that actually would suit maybe Serge Aurier on the right-hand side. So in terms of defence, I think they're actually quite well set. An interesting thing for him now will be whether Pavel Gazaniga uh, retains the number one uh, jersey or Hugo Lloris comes back in because anytime I've seen Gazaniga, especially at Anfield, he was brilliant uh, in terms of all the saves he made and also his distribution. So, I mean, that's a nice headache for him to have. But I don't think I don't think really they lack too much in defence. They could probably sign a better right-back, but he can make do with Aurier, certainly. A very good player, Paris Saint-Germain, maybe lost his way slightly under Pochettino, but I think he could do a good job of him and the defence generally. Kevin, what do you think about the keeper situation? I think we probably need a new one, <laughs> unfortunately. None of the above. Uh, you go with a broken arm north of 30. Um, I, I do agree. I think Gazaniga has performed fairly uh, admirably. I do think he's one of those keepers that tends to make some pretty heroic saves, but but concedes ones that you'd expect him to keep out. Uh, not to invoke Horelio Gomez's name too much, but I think there could be some similarities there. Um, <clears throat> especially as we're linked with every Lille player. Uh, trying to capture their goalkeeper, I think, might not be too bad of an idea. I think long-term, it'll be a different goalkeeper, and then Gazaniga still is the number two. Um, also famously known that Lloris stuck through his whole prime when everybody was out after him because of his relationship with Pochettino, so I very much would not be surprised if Lloris in the summer went wherever Pochettino is by then. And I was curious, Ryan Sessegnon came in. Um, what has hampered his development, and do you see him moving into Jose's 11, or at least depth. Yeah, as for Sessegnon, Mourinho already tried to sign him when he was at Another Manchester one, okay, United. great. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, <laughs> DJ Gal, another one. Um, yes, uh, so again, not not too shocking. I think Sessegnon under Mourinho is far more likely to end up being a left back than he would have been under Pochettino, who I think would have played him potentially in attack a bit more. Yep. Um, doesn't really have the physical profile that I would like as a left back, uh, a little light of stature for my taste. Um, but I, I think he'll get his chance. I mean, Danny Rose professed his loyalty to Pochettino more than Tottenham a week before <laughs> Pochettino left Tottenham. Uh, so that can't be particularly Oof. good for his long-term prospects, <laughs> even though Mourinho did go out and, and look uh, to sign Rose when he was at his best, that Walker Rose year where we had, the best fullback pair in football. Interesting how that tends to help teams uh, looking at you, Liverpool. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think long-term, it'll probably be Davis and Sessignon at left back and Rose will move on. So I think we've reached the point in the pod where we should maybe get into some predictions. If you're okay with that, Kevin. Yeah. Okay. You can predict, get the eight ball magic eight ball out. <laughs> so first of all, um, do you think a director of football walks through the door either in January at some point this year or maybe in the summer? I don't think anything will happen in Jerry because I in January because I think the dream is Luis Campos joins in the summer. 
in the summer. Okay, Luis Campos walks through the door in the summer. It's a big deal. United should be taking notes, but they won't because <laughs> they can't. Mourinho told them to do it. They just didn't. Yeah, right. It, well, Edward Ward doesn't speak football. Maybe that's part of it. Um, yeah. So um, what about uh, Levy's support? Do you think he will give Jose the checkbook, any form of the checkbook, or no? Um, again, in, in the summer, far more likely. These are kind of predicated on each other. If there is a director of football, I think he'd be far more likely to spend. I think his concern was always, what if I buy players and they aren't good enough? Because Levy was having to try to figure it out. And while he was much better at it than Woodward was, uh, it's still not his particular strong suit. I think some of our best deals were when we had somebody in uh, above Pochettino making the decisions. But in the final stages, it was just Pochettino and Levy agreeing on people with Steve Hitchin, the chief scout, kind of weighing in mm-hmm. uh, with the information. Um, so I'd say once we have a director of football, the purse strings will be loosened up, but I don't think it would really happen much before then. Mm. So you don't have particular prospects that everybody's looking at likely to come? It's kind of in a TB, TBD state? Uh, my my personal thought is we need to swap out Wanyama for Sander Berger um, from um, Belgium. But uh, I think the the obvious, almost too obvious one is Bruno Fernandes, of course. Uh, a right back would be great. I've seen a lot of people wish that we would sign Yusuf Atal, but he hasn't been playing a right back this season. Um, so maybe a little bit of a, a no on that. And finding the right wing backs is so difficult. I mean, you basically had to grow one and then just take a chance on a kid from Hull. Um, so... It's not the easiest position to fill, uh, but you know, time will tell there. So hopefully a right back. There, were, there was talk of bringing in a second striker, obviously behind Kane. It's just Troy Parrott as a natural nine. Um, but of course, Son and Lucas can deputize up there, and they've done fairly well in the past. Yeah, and both function very well in a Mourinho system, at least the Madrid form of it. Uh, John, do you have any predictions for where Spurs will end up? I'm going to ask Kevin the ultimate question, but... In terms of players coming in, any other like hierarchy movements? Can I just say as an Irishman that uh, can you not sign Zlatan and give Troy Parrott a chance? I mean, if you wait, Zlatan has never scored for the Irish in the 21s and it'll always be a mark in his <laughs> career, whereas Parrott has scored regularly for the Irish in the 21s. Um, but seriously, where I think they'll finish, top four seems unlikely, but if you were to pick one team to chase, it would be Chelsea. They're flat-track bullies. They're good against the smaller teams, but it'll just remain to be seen how they will do managing kind of that expectation come the latter half of the season when more pressure comes on them because it feels like now they've been given kind of free reign and there's like not too much pressure on them. So I think when the season gets into its latter stages, it'll be interesting to see how they cope. So... I think them getting top four will be unlikely. It's probably more likely they'll get fifth above Arsenal, who will just fall away completely, I'd imagine, and uh, United, who will be doing well to get into top half by the looks of it. But uh, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that they can do it, but it is massively unlikely. I would say it would be more likely for them to come fifth. Well, this sets you up perfectly, Kevin. It's Mm. your prediction. You know the most. How do you see the rest of the year playing out? Any different? No, I'd agree. I think top six far more likely than top four. Obviously, we're currently 10 points back already. Um, we do typically perform well over the busy winter period. Uh, we have done in the past, even back under AVB. 
even in the brief Sherwood era, <laughs> in the much longer Pochettino era, we typically perform well over that stretch. So uh, we'll kind of see where we are come January. But I, I would agree. I, I don't think top four is really realistic. Um, I think really where a lot of the focus will go will be the FA Cup, which of course starts in January. That's our only real chance at a trophy this year, one would assume. Um, I was going to come on here and talk about how, you know, my, my guess was a deep run in the FA Cup, top six, and uh, maybe maybe an advancement to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. But with us, as we record, 2-0 down to Olympiacos and still having to face Bayern in the group, that might not feel particularly likely anymore. Um <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We. We'll see how uh, that match turns around, or if it does, or it's worth noting that Olympiacos are currently bottom of the group anyway. So even with the win, that moves them up to four. I think that's what um, Red Star are on as well. So there's 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 still a chance. Obviously, not what we would have hoped though. But uh, yes, I agree. Probably top six in a deep FA Cup run. If we could win something in his first year, that would be incredible. Oh um, but I wouldn't, in particular, uh, be expecting that at this point. Fair enough. Kevin, this is a point in the podcast. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for running through this with John and I. What are you working on? This is the, you know, plug whatever is coming new or what listeners should tune into from EPL Index, EPL Roundtable, all of them. Yeah, if, if you're looking for more of this kind of conversation, but but tooled a bit more towards the Pochettino era that was departing than the new Mourinho one, I would did a huge Tottenham special over on my show with the great Steve McGookin, who used to be president of the New York Spurs Supporters Group. Um, also, uh, I'm taking a hiatus from ESPN at the moment, so can't find me over there, but obviously good fantasy content over there at ESPN.com slash fantasy. Uh, and I also cover some matches for Omnisport, but things don't go out under their name. <laughs> they go out through other papers that claim to have their own uh, live text commentary, but they don't at all. Uh, but anyway, uh, really enjoy coming on, guys. Yeah, it's such a pleasure state of Spurs because it's just non-trivial. I mean, people have their opinions, but there's reality. It's a great manager. He's He very well may have a big impact to the club, and it's just going to be entertaining to watch. So thank you again. Yep, thanks. All right. Uh, <laughs> until next time, everyone, talk on. Talk on.